0: Today on the Matt Wall Show, for her next act, Simone Biles has come out as stridently pro-abortion. The left is celebrating the, celebrating the news, of course, but the argument she makes in favor of baby murder is quite demented, especially considering her own background. We'll talk about that also, CNN helps to raise 200 grand for a single mother who was facing eviction, but uh, turns out the story was a bit of a scam. We'll discuss that. Plus, President President Biden is now inviting TikTok influencers to the White House. To perform weird pro vaccine skits. And we have an unfortunate but important update on the James Younger story. Finally, in our daily cancellation, we'll deal with an NPR story about an alleged 1,000 year old non binary medieval warrior who was recently unearthed by archaeologists. The story only gets weirder and dumber from there. All of that and more today on the Matt Walsh Show. You know, it really adds insult to injury when you got to pay a bill or you got to pay for anything, buy anything. Um, And that's no fun because you're you're spending money. No one likes to do that. But then when you're giving that money to someone or to a company that hates your guts, it just makes it that much worse. Um, And that's why it's so important to find companies that also support your values and support you. And that's what Charity Mobile is all about. Charity Mobile is the pro-life phone company. Other mobile services, service providers support questionable causes and agendas. But that's not the case for Charity Mobile, um, because 5% of your monthly plan price goes to the pro-life, pro-family charity of your choice. So you can switch to a company that shares your beliefs and won't cancel or censor you for them. At the same time, you're getting a great service. Uh, And part of that service means new activations and eligible accounts get a free cell phone with free activation and free shipping. You get free usage alerts, you get a free app to monitor your usage and pay your bills and much more. There's also no contract, there's no termination, no risk with a 30-day guarantee. And you get nationwide service on America's most reliable network. So it's a win-win-win cause all the way around. So turn everyday living into effortless giving for the charity of your choice. Call Charity Mobile at 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com. I am going to start with this today because there's perhaps nothing that annoys me more than bad arguments. And of all the different types of bad arguments, the worst without question are those offered in support of hideous evils, especially when those arguments are made by extremely famous and influential people. And of all the famous and influential people out there, very often those with the most influence and whose bad arguments can therefore do the most damage are precisely those who are not famous for making arguments in the first place. You know, it's one thing for a cable news host or pundit or podcaster to come out and offer his opinion Um, but our scope of influence is limited, unfortunately, because we only reach a certain type of audience, namely those who enjoy our perspective and want to hear our opinions, whether they agree or not. But those who garner audiences out in the wider culture, away from these debates, allegedly away from them, have an easier time moving and influencing people because they're speaking to a crowd that isn't coming to them already prepared to encounter these kinds of ideas. This is one of the reasons why I've always said that out of all the bias on all the channels on TV, I am least concerned about the bias on channels like CNN and MSNBC. The indoctrination on the Disney Channel or Nickelodeon is a far greater concern, and should get a lot more of our attention as it wins far more converts. That brings us to famous Olympian and infamous quitter, Simone Biles. Not satisfied with making a virtue out of cowardice while bailing on her team and her country, and congratulating herself for it while never offering an apology to all the people that she intentionally let down. Biles has now moved on to disseminating far-left propaganda. Now, this shift is certainly the least surprising development of the summer. I mean, no one's surprised by this, but it is concerning nonetheless for all the reasons just described. She has a legion of fans, many of them young women and girls, who look to her as a role model. And her status as a role model should have taken quite a hit after her disgraceful and selfish performance at the Olympics, but due to the cover provided for her by the media and others, she's now even more of a role model than she's ever been before. And one of the first things she's decided to do with that now elevated platform is offer a strident defense of the murder of children. So on Instagram yesterday, the supposedly Catholic Biles posted the following thoughts. She said, quote, I already know this is going to start the biggest argument and may even lose followers, but I'm very much pro-choice. Your body, your choice. Also, for everyone who's going to say, just put it up for adoption, series of eye roll emojis, it's not that easy. And coming from someone who was in the foster care system, trust me, foster care system is broke and it's tough, especially on the kids and young adults who age out. And adoption is expensive. I'm just saying. And don't even come at me if you couldn't keep a mask on or refuse to wear one. Now, normally I would make fun of someone for including emojis while discussing such a serious issue as this, but in this case, the emojis may have been the most coherent and intelligent part of her whole diatribe. And needless to say, of course, the left has fallen even more madly in love with Biles because of this, as a feminist and other pro-abortion advocates were thrown into convulsions of glee and euphoria at the sight of such a prominent person defending the mass slaughter of infants. It was just music to their ears. Is she correct about anything she said? No, not remotely. Because we don't have time to pick the whole thing apart line by line, we're going to sort of gloss over the fact that she said "your body, your choice," and then two sentences later, condemn people for not wearing masks. I mean, if there was ever a time when the "my body, my choice" slogan applied, it would be to masks. There's there's one time when it actually is appropriate to say "my body, my choice." The reason it does not apply to abortion, one of the reasons anyway is that abortion is the direct and violent assault of another person's body. It's not about your body, it's about the other person's. The entire point of the pro-life movement is that the child's body exists, number one, and is alive, and is human, and is innocent and defenseless. And all of those things are, are inarguable. And thus should have the right to be free from unprovoked violence, just as any born person is. Abortion is a thing you do to someone else's body. It is an act. You are acting upon another person's body. But if it's justified to directly destroy another person's body, let alone your child's body, in the name of exercising your autonomy, then it would certainly be justified to walk through Walmart unmasked in the name of autonomy as well. Indeed, even if it's not justified to directly destroy another innocent person's body, let alone your child's, It still would be justified to walk through Walmart unmasked because when you do so, walking around unmasked, there's a small chance that you indirectly and unintentionally get someone else sick. And that's the case without COVID also. With or without COVID, that's true. Anytime you go anywhere unmasked, this is the case before COVID, there's a small chance that maybe you get someone else sick. There's an even smaller chance that they die. Whereas with abortion, there is a 100% chance that the other person dies because that's the whole point of the procedure. So um, abortion is not analogous to walking through Walmart unmasked. It is analogous to walking into Walmart and shooting somebody in the face. Two different things. In any case, I said I was glossing over that. That's my version of glossing over. I spent five minutes on it. Let's get back to the main point. Simone Biles says that abortion is okay Because uh, uh, the foster care system is tough and adoption is expensive. The very clear implication here, not even an implication, but an explicit claim, is that children in the foster care system would be better off dead. And she says this while acknowledging that she herself went through that system. She went through it and managed to thrive in life. She is very happy to be alive and succeeding. And she should be. But she believes that such an opportunity should be foreclosed for other children. Now, this already makes no sense because infants put up for adoption will not be in the system for that long. There's currently a waiting list of some 2 million couples hoping to adopt. Most of them want to adopt an infant. It's not hard to place infants into loving homes. One of the most harmful myths perpetuated perpetrated and perpetuated by the pro-abortion lobby is that most unwanted babies, quote-unquote, who end up in the adoption system will simply stay there indefinitely, never to find a good home, and that is not the case. Now, it is the case that older children who end up in the system, tragically, oftentimes end up there, end up staying in the system for a long time because it's harder to place older kids. Why is it harder to place older kids? Well, because a lot of couples who um, are looking to adopt, maybe because they're not able to conceive children themselves, or whatever the reason is, they they want a baby, and they want to form that bond from from a young age. And also, if you already have kids, um, and then you bring an older child into the equation, then you're also worried about how that's going to work. I mean, there there are a lot of things that, that play into it, and that lead most couples looking to adopt to want to adopt babies. And that's just the reality. So we're talking about babies. If, 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 a, if a mother is, uh, has an unwanted pregnancy, and for her, the two options are put it up for adoption right away or abort the child, and she goes with adoption, that child will find a loving home. Will. But even aside from that, and aside from the particular and quite breathtaking selfishness of a woman who went through the system and succeeded, now saying that other kids in the system are better off dismembered and tossed into medical waste containers instead. Aside from all that, think about the vision of life that we are confronted with. We are told that a life of of deprivation, of suffering, even if the suffering and deprivation are temporary, is not worth living. It is not worth enduring such trials, because those trials are going to be there. Many of these children, there's, there's, there's no doubt that many of these children who are aborted, if they had not been aborted, would have experienced um, suffering in their childhood, whether at, in their home or in, in the foster care system, whatever it is. No one is denying that. What we're saying is that even in suffering, even in deprivation, life is meaningful, life is beautiful, life is good. And there is something greater and better waiting on the other side of that suffering. There's a reason to live through it. What Simone Biles says, what the pro-abortion movement says, is that there is nothing greater. There is nothing better waiting on the other side of it for you. Kids conceived by parents who don't want them are doomed to unending misery. Misery so severe and relentless that there is simply no point to existing in the first place. That's not my view at all. That's the view espoused by the pro-abortion side and by Simone Biles. What makes it all the more galling is that she says it so casually with, with emojis and sarcastic asides. Oh, yeah, all those millions of kids should just be dead. Whatever. Of course, Biles now claims that she wasn't really saying that at all. Someone on Twitter was disappointed that Biles had told, quote, all kids in the foster care system today that their lives are worth nothing and are better off dead. So, what someone on Twitter You know, that's how they summarize what Biles has said, and that that is a perfectly accurate and fair summary. That is what she said. But Biles responded to that person saying, quote, do not misconstrue my words. That is not at all what I implied. I did not say I support to abort rather than to put them through the foster care system. What I did imply is that you should not control someone else's body slash decision. Let's be real. What you care about is control. I have forever and will continue to support foster kids as I was one. I've been an advocate for foster kids and the system, but you wouldn't know that because you don't follow me. You just like to open your mouth. Yes, how dare you question Ms. Biles? How dare you, sir? Well, it seems that, uh, that Ms. Biles quits on her own arguments like she quits on her team. And that's the thing about pro-abortion people. You know, that, that is what she was saying. Now she says, I would never say such a thing. No, that is what you said but their arguments are so hideous and so evil and so morally vacuous and deranged that they don't like to hear their own arguments repeated back to them that's sometimes sometimes the best rebuttal to a pro abortion person is just to repeat what they said to them because when when they say something and you repeat it then they say oh how, how dare you i would never say that but you did say that That's exactly what you said. And here's a good hint. If you can't stand to hear the echo of your own words, maybe that should tell you something about the argument you're making and the position that you're defending. Now let's get to our five headlines. This episode is brought to you by the Jordan Harbinger Show. If Do you want a podcast to look forward to each week, one that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Well, then you definitely don't want to listen to this show. Let me tell you about a different show you should be listening to instead. The Jordan Harbinger Show, a top-shelf podcast named Best of Apple in 2018, so don't just ignore my suggestion to listen to this one like you probably do with your other friends who tell you to listen to podcasts. You really want to listen to the Jordan Harbinger Show. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people from athletes, authors, and scientists to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. Harbinger has a talent for getting his guests to share never-been-heard-before stories and thought-provoking insights. Without fail, he pulls out tactical bits of wisdom in each episode, all with the noble cause to make you a more informed, critical thinker to better operate in today's world. Point blank, Jordan Harbinger is smart, funny, and easy to listen to. The exact opposite of what you're experiencing right now you can't go wrong with adding the jordan harbinger show to your rotation it's incredibly interesting there is never a doll show so search for the jordan harbinger show that's h-a-r-b as in boy i-n as in nancy j or rather g-e-r on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts so here is a story for you um cnn has been following the sad tale of daisha kelly uh, is a woman whose trials and tribulations were used as a final push to get the unconstitutional eviction moratorium extended. She said that she was a, a mother of three girls and facing eviction because she didn't have a job and she, she couldn't pay her, pay her a rent. Now, of course, there are millions of open jobs available right now. Um, but then again, when you're a single mom of three, it may not. It's not so simple to take any job that comes along. You, you should still be able to find a job, but you may not be able to hop at the first one because you got to worry about child care and you got all these other considerations. Of course, you have to take in, you have to take into account. So, um, so, so you, so you can kind of understand what a difficult spot this would be in. This would be uh, for a for a single mother with uh, three young girls to be in this position. So CNN, they pushed this story. They followed it. Um, until finally Kelly, Daisha Kelly, who, who put her own GoFundMe up to raise money for herself, she raised nearly a quarter of a million dollars, which will all go to her personally and to her three quote unquote daughters. So first, before we get to the update to this story, the shocking update, here's a couple of clips compiled by the site. Now this, and they're the ones I think who added the inspirational music in the background. Um, but here is a couple of clips. This is CNN profiling Kelly, and then also uh, later on getting her reaction after the GoFundMe raised all the money. Let's watch this.
1: I had to donate a few days ago. Kelly is
2: now donating blood plasma, hundred bucks a time, to buy groceries. So you are managing to eat, okay? Yeah,
1: exactly. Or? Oh yeah. They're well, they're eating okay. Let's put it that way. I'm like, there's days I don't even want to roll out the the bed, roll out the floor. <laughs> You get what I mean. Kelly's pawned
2: or sold nearly everything she had.
1: I had a bed right here. There was a TV right here on top of this stand, so I had to pawn that.
2: She thought about working online, but... You lost your laptop as well?
1: Oh, I had to pawn that trying to keep up with the bills. I just want to tell everybody, thank you so much. I, I'm i still in denial, if you can't really tell. Um, it's a lot to take in. It's very, um... Sorry, bro. It's, um... It's really overwhelming. These are tears of joy, trust me. I'm uh, I'm just so thankful. I appreciate each and every one of you. And I would especially like to thank, I don't know if I can, but Kim, the one who reached out to my family, I'm so thankful. We're so thankful for you guys because I had no idea what we were gonna do. And just overnight, just overnight, all you guys just reached out and helped us, and all the support, your encouraging words—it's—it's—it like, just gave me a lot of hope. And I just want to make sure I do the best that I can to help the next person that is in my same situation. And I just felt really blessed. And just thank you guys so much.
0: You know, knowing what we know now, and we'll play what we know in a second. And you, and you see those girls sitting there and they, to me, they do look a little bit confused. I mean, they're looking up at this woman and there's, there's, maybe this is just me now projecting that back, but, um, seem to be a little bit of confusion. And anyway, they would be, they would be right to be confused because here's this woman saying, talking about her daughters and how they, you know, they live together in this apartment. Well, as it turns out, um, those girls are not her daughters. She doesn't have any daughters. She's a single woman. Uh, and that was revealed by CNN after they had already raised over $200,000 for this woman. Now we get the update from that same reporter who was, uh, who, who was doing this story and been following uh, Daisha Kelly. Now he comes back on CNN days later and says, oh, uh, by the way, everything we told you about that was a lie.
2: Still a lot of questions. Um, but what do we know right now about Daisha Kelly's story? Well, Erica, CNN found Daisha Kelly through her post on GoFundMe seeking $2,000 to pay back rent to avoid eviction for her and, quote, her three daughters. She did not reach out to us. Now, we interviewed Kelly at her home. The girls all called her mom, appeared to be very much at home, and there was nothing we could see to raise any suspicion. But Later last week, a woman named Shadia Hilo came forward and said she was the mother of those three girls and they live with her. Obviously, we investigated immediately. And yes, Sharia Hilo is their mother. We have seen the birth certificates. And now we know that Daisha Kelly is dating the girl's father. She spends significant periods of time caring for the girls at her apartment. Now, at the time we visited, Hilo says she had dropped the girls off with Kelly for a week. Now, when we followed up with Kelly over the weekend, she clarified that she is not the mother of the three girls. She said she originally described herself to CNN as a mother because she considers herself to be like a mother to those girls. Shadia Hilo is understandably upset that someone else claimed to be the mother of three of her children. Children she also... Cares for.
0: Right. Well, I, I said that I was a mother, but you know, I I, I hang out with these girls sometimes, and I I I'm sort of like a mother. I consider myself, that I I just didn't think to tell all you guys that when I was raising two hundred thousand dollars. You know this this uh, it, it, and she didn't vol. She at no point volunteered this information. She was going to take that two hundred thousand and run. And also, by the way, the at least at least the most recent thing I saw last night. Anyway, GoFundMe, they're not shutting the fundraiser down exactly. What they did is they, they're requiring Desha Kelly to put an update on the GoFundMe and say, oh, hey, this was all on false pretenses. I'm not actually a mother. These aren't my girls. I lied to you. So she's putting, she put and she did, she put that update. And now people who donated to the GoFundMe, those poor saps who actually fell for this, uh, they're gonna get a few days or a few weeks to claim a refund and then, who, and, then and then the rest of the money is still going to go to Daisha Kelly so they didn't shut it down now I don't have to remind you okay so Daisha Kelly is allowed to lie and raise two hundred thousand dollars and they don't shut down they still give her a chance to keep at least some of that money because not everyone's gonna ask for the refund not everyone's even gonna know that the, this that this update was was uh was posted. Um, they're gonna let her do that. Meanwhile, they wouldn't let me raise money for a I was raising money for someone else. I wasn't going to get a dime of it. And that's an illegitimate fundraiser. And I, this is, I I don't even say that, say this as a, as a joke. Okay. Yeah. The abuela fundraiser was hilarious, but at the same time, it was a real fundraiser. We were really going to give the money to, uh, to an abuela in need. Here you have someone raising the money for themselves and lying in the process, and they're going to be allowed to keep at least some of it. I'm guessing a, a good chunk of it is, is going to remain, and they're going to get to keep it. So obviously this is, this is a, a, a scam. This is not, oh, I, uh, I, I, I misworded it. I didn't mean... No, you lied. And the actual mother of these girls didn't know this was happening. Imagine you you, know, you drop your, uh, your kids off with someone, and then you... And then later you see your kids on CNN, <laughs> you see them on CNN starring alongside the person who's babysitting your kids in this uh, in this pageant so they can raise money. Can you imagine that? How, how outrageous and angry, outrage and angry that would make you? So we know actually that Daisha Kelly um, is, so she's not a mom, she's not a single mom. She is, in fact, unemployed, so that much is true. But that really brings us to, and this is another story I wanted to hit in the five headlines. This is from the Daily Wire. It says the United States economy has over 10 million job openings. According to the data from the the Department of Labor, the number of positions available in the United States increased to 10.1 million as of the last business day in June, the highest number ever observed by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. In May, there were 9.2 million openings. There have never been this many jobs available. Um, And now, as I said, not everyone, when you have dependents, when you have kids, that complicates matters. Clearly, if you don't have a job, you need to go find one and you need to keep hitting the pavement until you do. But you're not going to be in a spot where you can necessarily just take any job. Because you gotta, you got to figure out your child care first. If you're paying for child care, then you got to make enough from the job to pay for the child care and also to have some left over to pay everything else that you got to pay. So these are a lot of things you have to take into account. Um, and and uh, obviously we're all very sympathetic to people that are in that spot. But if you don't have any kids, if you don't have any dependents and you're a single person, and you're living in an apartment that isn't, you know, is, that isn't terribly, it's not some luxury apartment in the sky that costs you thousands and thousands of dollars a month. Uh, you should just basically take any job that you can find. You take a job and you can keep looking for a better one while you have that job. Bird in hand, you know, it's easier to find a job when you have one. You can say so you can still do that, but you, there's no reason to be passing up jobs when you're a single person. Um, that's what I, that's what I said from the beginning about a lot of this stuff when we started handing out, you know, we just start handing out stimulus payments to everyone. Now we got the eviction moratorium. the eviction moratorium shouldn't be in place for anyone because it's unconstitutional. But if it was, if I was going to agree with it, with it being in place for anyone, which I don't, but if I did, I would say at a minimum, this should be targeted for, I don't know, families. A single person who's choosing not to work, even though there are 10 million jobs out there and you have no one to pay for, but yourself, there is no excuse. It's, it's not, it's, it can be very difficult to support and pay for a family. I know I do that. I support a family of six. I've also supported just myself. I did that for years. And I was able to do that with not a lot of money. I wasn't getting paid a whole lot. But as a single person, you're an adult. You can make sacrifices. You know, you can make it work. I did. All right. Next here, we've got a story from National Review. This is kind of an update to a story we've talked about over the years. Um, It says a Texas jug judge, Texas jug has granted full custody of eight-year-old James Younger to his mother, who has fought publicly to transition her son into a girl against the father's wishes. Judge Mary Brown granted full custody to Anne Georgilis in an order on Tuesday awarding the mother exclusive control over James' primary residence, counseling, medications, education, and extracurricular activities. It allows Georgilis to withhold information from Jeff Younger, James' father, regarding the children's extracurricular activity, school functions, school enrollment, counseling, and medical care. However, while George Ellis has the exclusive right to consent to James' medical procedures, the order notes that the power does not extend to hormone suppression therapy, puberty blockers, or transgender reassignment surgery. Um, the high-profile custody case has played out publicly for years, as George Ellis has insisted that her son identifies as a girl named Luna. And as I said, we've talked about this. This goes back... Um, To when James was only three years old. And that's when, according to James Younger, that's when his wife decided that uh, little James is actually a girl. Eventually they get divorced and there's been this custody battle ever since then. With James Younger. Who, what other details about his life? You know, I I don't know. I don't know him personally. I'm sure he's not a perfect person. Nobody is. Um, But one thing is for certain. He knows that his boy is a boy. And he believes that his boy has a right to live as a boy. And to not have this confusion imposed on him, which will do un- it already has done, I I hate to say it, it has already done untold potentially lifelong damage. And o- only knowing that about J- J- uh, rather um uh, James Younger as the child. Um, only knowing that about the father, Jeff Younger, you know, Jeff Younger versus Ann Georgilis. If the only thing we know is that Ann Georgilis wants to convert the boy into a girl and Jeff Younger is saying, absolutely not, don't do that. We already know that Jeff Younger is the more fit parent. And it, it wouldn't be hard to claim that title because if, if you want to transition your boy into a girl, you are you are simply not fit. You can't be. You shouldn't be allowed anywhere near that child. In a just and sane society, there would be no controversy here at all. During the custody battle, you would would go to court and the dad would say, she's putting my son in dresses and calling him Luna and trying to tell him he's a girl. And the judge would say, okay, The the kid goes to Jeff. End of discussion. Oh, and by the way, you're not allowed within 500 yards of that child. Not only do you not get custody, you can't see him or be near him, you lunatic. This is a form of psychological and sexual abuse. Yes, it is sexual abuse. Um, that is, previous generations would have looked on this and in in unspeakable horror. Unable to even understand what they're watching. this is definitely something to keep in mind. Um, I, 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 hear from sing, speaking of single people, I hear from single people all the time looking for, you know, a match out there and it's, it's, it can be difficult in this culture to find that, uh, especially as a conservative or a Christian to find someone who shares your values. And, uh, I, I hear from young men saying, you know, how do I find a good woman and women saying that about men? Well, I tell you one thing, um, here's one question you should ask very early on before you even consider marriage or anything. Whether you're a woman, you know, dating a man or a man dating a woman. One of the first questions you ask early on should be on this topic. Do, Do you think it would ever be possible, there's ever a scenario when a little boy should be raised as a girl? I would pose that question. And if you get anything other than an absolutely hell no, run in the opposite direction. This is one of the most horrifying things to think about. That you get married to someone and you have a kid and then they do this to your kid. And it would be bad enough in a sane society if that were to happen. But at least then all you have to do is go get, you got to get the divorce and you'll get custody because you married a crazy person. But now you know our whole system is against you. They're going to be on the side of your spouse doing this to your child. So there's a question. You know what? I would pose that on the first date. Be one of the first things I would ask. You're going to scare a lot of people away that way? That's all for the better. Because I wouldn't even consider it. This is a risk I would not take. I, w- I would want to know that you are firmly against this. And there is no chance that you would ever even consider it. All right. Um, The White House is using TikTok influencers to push the vaccine now. And um, here's the latest. I don't know who this guy is. He's a, a TikTok influencer. That's all I know about him. And here he is at the White House doing this weird little skit, which I guess ostensibly is supposed to promote the vaccines. Here it is.
3: One sec, democracy's calling. (laughs) See you daddy, bye. Hi, my name is Cooper and this is a day in my life as a White House intern. We did a joke. (laughs) Hey everyone, Vogue. Usually I start off with a big coffee. Sorry, they're like really strict in here. Hey Jenny, I booked you a nail appointment, love.
1: Yeah, I didn't tell you to do that.
3: It's called initiative.
1: (laughs) Hi, White House, this is Cooper. Mm, I don't think so. Oh, doesn't matter.
3: This is actually the entrance to the West Wing. This is so fun, and it's
1: really prestigious.
2: Hey, POTUS. Is Olivia Rodrigo still here?
1: No.
3: We've come a long way in our fight against this virus. We've vaccinated 160 million Americans. Are you getting this all down? Don't worry, queen, it's all right here. Cooper.
2: Sorry, Miss Jen. And Jen, don't forget to have fun.
3: (laughs) Spirit figures, mama. We need to get shots in the arms of every single American. I'm heading to a haircut. Comment if you want me
0: to make more of these. Um, No, please don't. I'll leave a comment. Please don't make more of these. Remember when we were told that the Biden White House, this is going to be the adults in charge, right? Um, Biden's presidential. President Trump was not presidential. Biden is going to be presidential. He would never besmirch the honor of, uh, of his sacred office. Isn't we were told all that stuff? And now they're inviting cross-dressing TikTok influencers into the White House, into their offices, to do whatever the hell that's supposed to be. And, and what is that supposed to be? And who is it supposed to appeal to? I thought we were, we've been told that the, 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 the ones who are not getting the vaccine... Are all of the MAGA Trump supporters right? It, 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 that, those are all the people who aren't getting the vaccine. They're the ones who are causing all these, uh, all these problems. And that's why you see the virus spreading in the South. And it's just a coincidence that it's spreading. Yeah, it's in the South, but at the same time, it's also many cases right next to the border where we've got thousands of illegal immigrants, many of them infected with COVID coming across. But that's all a coincidence. We're told no, this is all about right wing, you know, redneck Trump supporters anti-science, so on and so forth. If that's really the case, is that, you think that's how you're going to get them? A Trump supporter with a Trump flag on the back of his pickup truck, okay? That's the picture of a guy who, according to the left, is not getting vaccinated, and he's the super spreader out there in his pickup truck getting everyone sick, according to them. You think he's going to see that? A cross-dressing TikTok influencer and say, you know something? I think I'll get that vaccine. This uh, man in this dress here makes a great point. This is, among other things, a tacit admission that um, the many of the anti-vaxxers are not, in fact, right-wingers. All right, here's some more masking hypocrisy if you needed more of it. Rashida Tlaib at a wedding. I think we have video of her. There we go. Okay, she's dancing, having a good time. You see a mask in that crowd at all? They're all bunched together. Not one single mask in sight. Uh, so, you have more hypocrisy from that. Well, at least she's having a good time. We all agree. That's the most important thing, is at least she's having fun. I'm not going to repeat my whole diatribe from yesterday. You know my point on this. Let's not, let's not bother. Let's not bother getting mad about it. They're at a wedding, they're dancing around, they're having a good time, do likewise. This, in, in some ways, if you want to look at it from the most positive perspective, you want to see the silver lining. What this shows you is that the people in charge who are pushing these policies, they are not actually personally worried about the coronavirus. They're not worried about it. So if you are worried about it, And you hear from these people and you see the policies they're pushing and you see the things that they say, you hear the things they say on cable news, and that makes you afraid and scared. It shouldn't. But if it does, look at that video and realize, oh, wait, no, no, she's not worried at all. And and you shouldn't be either. You should just live your life. Also, speaking of Rashida Tlaib, she tweeted this yesterday. She said, Mike Brown is a tragic reminder. I'm not sure why she was talking about Mike Brown, but she was. Mike Brown is a tragic reminder that state-sponsored murder exists, and he and many others serve as angels of our conscience to keep fighting for true racial justice. Those who are complicit and standing on the sidelines enable this injustice to continue. She did say angels of our conscience, which I think she meant conscience. But in any case, we have the left yet again, or still hanging on to this Mike Brown fable Of someone who was murdered by the police, even though Mike Brown, it it, it was not just that um, the officer, Darren Wilson, was cleared by a local investigation, which he was. There was eyewitness testimony and forensic evidence that Mike Brown was charging at Darren Wilson and trying to take his gun, was in the process of trying to kill him and then got shot shot for his trouble. Um, But it wasn't just that. Barack Obama's DOJ under Eric Holder did an investigation and came to the same conclusion. So, was is he part of the white supremacist conspiracy? I guess so. I guess that's what they're telling us. All right. Finally, before we get to reading the comments here, um, this in, is important that I talk to you about this. You guys know how I feel about cyclists. I am uh, not a fan of cyclists at all. And here is, we have the tweet from um, this, someone put out, okay, here it is. Jeremy Vine. I don't know who that is exactly, but he's got a big following. So he's a well-known guy. He put out a tweet a couple of days ago with a video of cyclists on a back country road. And they're not, they're not like lined up one by one in single file line. There's, there's four or five of them across taking up the entire lane. And Jeremy Vine says, people who cycle in the country should be encouraged to ride two, three and four abreast like this for the following reasons. One, it calms the traffic behind them and makes it less easy for bad drivers to attempt dangerous passes. Three, it's more pleasant and sociable for them. All right, let me tell you, if you're a cyclist, as a a motorist myself, let let me give you the scoop. Um, It absolutely does not calm the traffic behind you when you're holding us all up. We We are not calm behind you. You might be calm and having a nice time. We are not. We're very angry. Um, And it doesn't make passing you easier or less dangerous when we can't see as well what's in front of, of you. And as far as it being more pleasant and sociable, it might be. But let me tell you something else. We don't give a damn if your ride is pleasant and sociable. As I tweeted back to this guy, I said, nobody gives a damn if your ride is pleasant and sociable, you roadway parasite. Get out of the way. Yeah you know, I I think I have a really gentle way of going about these things, don't I? You are you're, you're like a barnacle, you're a parrot, something worse than that. You're you're a parasitic infant's infestation of the roadway. Oh, it's a pleasant and 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 sociable ride. That's not what the road is for. It is there for cars to get from point A to point B. That's why it's there. You want pleasant and sociable? Go on a bike path in the woods. Okay? Or go to the gym and get on a stationary bicycle and sit next to someone. And you can have all the conversation, be as pleasant and sociable as you want. There are places for that. The road is not a recreational place. There are places for recreation. The road is not one of them. It's like I said before, it, it would, it, I see no difference between this and me like... Um, taking a, a game of, of taking a board game and just putting it in the middle of the road and sitting around with some people and playing a board game. Well, it's pleasant, it's sociable, it's how I like to enjoy myself. It's a recreational activity. There's a time and place where the road is not that. It wasn't made for you. I got news for you. The road was made, these paved roads, okay, that cars go on. They were made specifically for cars. That's why they're there. There are places made for you. It's not the road. Uh, And someone, I also wanted to show you this. We have someone else, someone responded to me on Twitter, and I was just trying to make sense of this. This is someone who's a a cyclist, and they were very upset at what I said, calling, you know, all I did was call cyclists roadway parasites. I don't see the big deal. But he said, eat crap and die, apiarist scum. I got to say, that is the first time I've ever heard that phrase, apiarist scum. Apiarist is a a beekeeper, which I am. Well, I'm a beekeeper in spirit right now, because when we moved, I had to give away all the bees, unfortunately. But in my heart, I'm still a beekeeper. Once a beekeeper, always a beekeeper. Um, This is a level of hostility towards beekeepers that I have never seen before. (laughs) Apiarist scum. Was this guy like some supervillain from Captain Planet? He's got some sort of plot to destroy all the bees in the world for no reason very strange lots of anger on twitter and again i don't know what i did to provoke it all i said was all i did was call people parasites that's it all right let's go now to reading the comments if i could find them here they are Uh, lee jordan says matt i was hoping you could help help me with something Uh, could you tell me if ben shapiro has recently written a book or not and i'm not sure i haven't i haven't heard much about that Um, so i'm not exactly sure Let's see. Nicholas says, look here, Matt, murder is most definitely worse than rape for obvious reasons. Now, if you want to lower the bar on death row to conclude rape, then go for it. But that doesn't mean it would or should then be considered equal sins. Also, your show is by far the best on the Daily Wire by a lot. Well, okay. I was about to be angry at you for disagreeing with me, but you've successfully flattered your way out of that. No, I think murder is a broad category, first of all. Um, It's not all murder is the same And that's why we have degrees for for that And uh, we make a distinction For example between premeditated murder And uh, you know so called a crime of passion Something that happens in the heat of the moment Um, What I'm saying is that Yeah there, there are more There are potentially more evil things you can do Than kill someone And it really depends on the circumstance Yet again but the idea that, because uh, we were talking yesterday about a child rapist who was beat to death in prison after somehow being put in a prison cell with one of his victim's older brother, one of the children that he raped, he was in a, this child rapist was in a prison with that child's older brother and then was beat to death by that older brother. And rather than getting a, a medal of commendation, as some of us say he should have gotten, uh, he, was gotten he was given 25 years in prison. But the idea that all murder is automatically worse, significantly worse, than child rape, I think is absurd. You know, child rape is at least among it's it's if you want to list the worst things a human can do, it's number one on the list. There might be other things on the list tied with it, but it's there. It's not number two or three. And so whatever penalties we have in place for the worst things a person can do should apply there. And it's also also not even a measure of how horrible the crime is, even though it is the most horrible. There's another factor here also, which is that um, depending on the circumstance, there could be a person who commits a murder, does their time, and can go back out into society and be a, a contributing member of society and not be any real danger to anybody. Again, it depends on the situation, but you commit child rape. Um, you're never, you can never be a contributing member of society again, and it will never be safe to let you out of prison ever again because of the nature of the crime and the nature of the people who who commit these sorts of crimes and the psychological state that is necessary for a person to do that is just, this is someone who can never be trusted out in human society ever again, which I think is another reason that, uh, Another reason why we should consider them as, as candidates for the gurney. Um, Todd says, hey, Matt, I don't think the way the Star Wars shop owner handled the situation was very charitable. I understand his point, but he talked to the person in a way that's never going to change someone's opinion. I also understand the person in the shop was acting like a jerk, but that doesn't give the shop owner license to treat someone like that. It's like when people protesting at an abortion clinic are mean to the women going inside. I doubt that's ever going to st- ever work to stop an abortion. Well, I've been outside of a lot of abortion clinics, uh, and I, I have actually never seen that. I'm not saying it never happens, but that's a, a stereotype that is most of the time unfair. By far and away, the people that are outside of abortion clinics, praying, holding vigil, these are some of the nicest and most gentle humans you will ever meet. You have to be to do that. Um, But I would agree, in that situation, if you've got a woman walking into an abortion clinic, the last thing you want to do is scream expletives at her. That's a very different, that's very different from someone who confronts you and is demanding that you forfeit your understanding of reality for their sake. Feels themselves entitled to that. Trying to impose themselves on you. For that, no, I have to agree with you, Todd. I, I disagree, rather. Um, I, I, I don't think we should be charitable. And if there was a time for responding charitable, char- charitably in situations like that, that time is over. That's not going to work anymore. Sometimes you have to yell. Sometimes you have to get a little loud to be heard above the noise. There's times for whispering and being more gentle and taking a softer approach. But that's not every time. There may still be situations in our culture where that approach is called for, but they're dwindling. um, As the other side becomes more and more aggressive. But certainly when someone like like comes up to you like that is getting in your face. Making demands, making hysterical, unreasonable, insane demands. uh, No, I think they need to be put in their place. For their own sake and just because that's what they deserve. All right, let's see what else we got here. Um, Air Force says, how does Matt pull off sounding both like a millennial and an 80-year-old man? Now, I have to admit that's a pretty good description of me and probably the show. Uh, Chloe says, dang, Matt, your makeup is on point today. Looking good. Yes, I, I do wear makeup on the show, Chloe. But for mentioning it in that way, you're banned from the show. We don't speak of it. We don't talk about the makeup. You know that. You have, you, you have breached a, a certain trust by bringing that up. We, we, we pretend that's not the case. I have to wear it. It's part of the gig. We don't talk about it. This is the last time it will be discussed. Chloe. And finally, J.R. Crash says, uh, Matt Walsh makes fun of women's sports. Also, Matt Walsh very upset about who's allowed to play on women's sports teams. I think I've addressed this many times. I I admit my my primary concern with the women's sports thing is not protecting the sanctity of women's sports. I admit I don't care about women's sports that much. Um, I still want women's sports to exist. My daughter might want to play sports one day and um, seems unlikely at this point. She doesn't seem to be heading in that direction, but maybe she will. And I, I want it to be there and available for her. So I do care about it, but that's not at all the primary point. For me, it is about reality. It's about defending reality. And women's sports has become one battleground in this fight for reality. I didn't choose to make it a battleground. Okay, the other side chose for this to be a battleground. And so I'm going to fight there. I'm not going to hand it over to them and say, oh, it doesn't matter. It's just sports. That I'm not going to do. None of us should do that. You know, someone was just asking about this, and uh, I wasn't sure, but it turns out that Ben Shapiro did in fact write a new book, and it's called The Authoritarian Moment. Uh, and there could never be a, a better, more appropriate time for this book to come out because we know, look, we've got, uh, we've got New York instating vaccine passports. We know about all of the, the tyranny that we, are, that we have faced for the last year and a half because of COVID, and unfortunately, it's not over yet. So the question is, where did all this come from, um, and what do we do about it? Ben Shapiro answers both of those questions and more in The Authoritarian Moment. It's now available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or any other major bookseller, so go get your copy now and leave a five-star review if you like what you read. Also, if you're a Daily Wire member and a Candace Owens fan, I've got great news for you. You can now purchase tickets to come to the Daily Wire studio in Nashville, Tennessee and see her show live. However, the catch is you have to be an all-access member to do it, and if you are, your lovely mug... Might even make it on screen. Who knows? Hurry, though. Tickets have sold out for every show, and seating is limited, so go and get your tickets now. They're going fast. If you live in Nashville area or have been planning on taking a trip here, which I highly recommend, now's the time. So head to dailywire.com slash tickets today to pick up yours. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. If I wanted to explain what the word anachronism means, I'd, I'd uh, all I'd really need to do is point to this headline just published by NPR. It says, 1,000-year-old remains may be of a highly respected non-binary warrior, study finds. Now, we know that the highly respected non-binary warriors of our time are like Demi Lovato and that dude always wears dresses to the Oscars. But neither of them, presumably, were found in an ancient tomb. So for some context, and to find out who this is, let's read some of the article. It says, Analysis of DNA found in Finland has unveiled a surprise a century later. The remains of an early medieval warrior thought to be female may have been non-binary. The new findings challenge previous ideas about gender roles and expression and suggest that non-binary people were valued and respected members of their communities, researchers concluded in their study published in the peer-reviewed European Journal of Archaeology. The findings are a reminder that biology does not directly dictate a person's self-identity, said Yula Moilinen, the study's lead author and an archaeologist at Finland's University of Turku. Okay, quick sidebar here. I looked up um, Miss Eula here and discovered that her field of study, according to her Twitter page, is gender archaeology, which is a thing. And gender archaeology, at least according to Wikipedia, is, quote, a method of studying past societies through their material culture by closely examining the social constructions of gender identities and relations. In other words, it is a totally contrived and useless field of study where the entire point is to enable people like Eula to impose modern notions of gender onto the decomposing corpses of people who died centuries before any of these notions existed. So now that we have that established, let's go back to the article and see what other completely fabricated nonsense might be in store for us. It says, quote, Archaeologists first discovered the grave in 1968. Located in southern Finland, the remains were buried alongside a sword and jewelry, such as brooches, and found in fragments of woolen clothes, which were a typical feminine costume of the era, the researchers said. But the use of DNA analysis decades later found chromosomes that didn't match what's expected for males or females. The researchers concluded that the buried person likely had Klinefelter syndrome and was anatomically male. Females are typically born with two X chromosomes, and males are born with one X and one Y chromosome. Males born with Klinefelter syndrome are born with an extra X chromosome. According to the UK's National Health Service, the syndrome affects one in 660 males. Those with Klinefelter may have low levels of testosterone, a smaller penis, penis Um, Yes, I did say penis, undescended testes, enlarged breasts, and infertility. Many people aren't diagnosed until they're older and test their fertility levels. Others are never diagnosed. The honorable way the warrior was buried led researchers to conclude that the remains were of a respected person whose gender identity may well have been non-binary. Quote, it is a well-researched study of an interesting burial. Burial, it demonstrates that early medieval societies had very nuanced approaches to and understandings of gender identities. Okay. No, it doesn't. So what do we actually have here? We have, on one hand, the decomposed remains of someone who died a thousand years ago. That person, according to one analysis, may have been a male with a genetic condition that may have given him a smaller penis and larger than normal breasts, maybe. This individual was buried in or with some cloth and jewelry and a sword. That summarizes literally everything we know about him. This poor soul can only look on from the afterlife helplessly as a gaggle of archaeological weirdos posthumously convert him into a drag queen. This this just gives us all another thing to worry about when we die, I suppose. Yet another another thing to worry about. The left isn't satisfied to merely indoctrinate the living into their gender delusions. Now they're even digging up the dead. Soon enough, drag queen story hours will give way to drag queen seances. On the other hand, along with this pile of bones, We have the strong desire of modern Western people, especially academics, to find an historical analog or even a modern non-Western analog to contemporary left-wing gender theory. Because they realize how tenuous and fragile the whole thing would seem to be if it was simply invented out of whole cloth in the 20th century. They, They don't want to admit, don't want to think, that everything they say about gender today was conjured in the imaginations of a handful of psychotherapists, sexologists and other assorted quacks. So they insist that all of this must stretch far back in time and across the world. It cannot be uniquely Western, especially because to these same people, uniquely Western things are bad. And that's why they're determined to find a primitive rainforest tribe somewhere where transgenderism exists, or to find some skeletal remains in some old crypt that could be taken out of the box and put into their gender identity box. That's what they want to find but they will never find it. And they certainly have not found it in this case. Here's the reality. This medieval dude may or may not have had a smaller than average penis. Frankly, it seems unfair to speculate when he's not here to defend himself against the charge. I mean, again, just imagine as a man looking down from heaven a thousand years from now and seeing a bunch of scientists at your grave going, "Well." Based on the extremely tiny reproductive organ, we can only surmise that this man wore skirts and lived his life as a woman. That is a truly cosmic form of humiliation. I feel bad for this guy. But all that aside, what we know for sure about this dude is that he was absolutely not non-binary because non-binary as a category did not exist a thousand years ago. It didn't even exist a hundred years ago. This is a very modern, very Western innovation. Gender identity is a concept that people came up with, and we know who those people were. We know when and how and why they came up with it. It's all documented recently. There are no ancient tablets or papyrus scrolls describing the lived experiences of pansexual, gender-fluid trans women because none of those labels or ideas existed. You may as well find a blue shirt in a Bronze Age tomb and conclude that the person must have worked at Best Buy. Perhaps next we can get a research paper explaining how Socrates was the world's first TikTok influencer. I mean, it is that absurd. It is that insanely anachronistic. Non-binary is a self-perception, which rests on the idea that sex and gender are distinct categories and that one or perhaps both are fluid and subjective. You cannot have non-binary identifying people without that intellectual framework to hold up the entire thing. Now, it's already verging on quackery to speculate about the self-perception of a 1,000-year-old skeleton. There's just no way to know. But in this case, we can at least know that however this guy perceived himself, he did not perceive himself as non-binary because there was, in ancient times, no concept of sex and gender as distinct or or either one being fluid. There were simply males and females, men and women. Some men might have been more feminine, some men might have even cross-dressed. They might have cross-dressed and slept with other men. Yet they were still men. Everyone knew they were men and would not have questioned that fact. It's not that they rejected our conceptions of gender, but more that those conceptions would have, absolutely, would have had absolutely no meaning to them. They would not have understood what you were saying if you tried to explain it. Those conceptions have no meaning now either, but... They are familiar, at least. You know, this is the irony. The left wants us to reject the past, tear down the statues of our historical heroes, spit on our ancestors' graves, and embrace the supposed revolutionary progress of modern culture. And yet, when it comes to their most most revolutionary and modern ideas, they seek cover behind the very tombstones they were just spitting on. They can't admit that it's revolutionary and modern. They want us to believe that it's ancient and old. The people of the past were a bunch of closed-minded, patriarchal, bigoted, racist savages, they tell us. But they also had views on gender identity that would make a pink-haired, nose-pierced, 23-year-old Antifa rioter proud. This, like everything else they say, is completely incoherent. So, to NPR and these gender archaeologists, I say, you have already desecrated modern society enough with this madness. Leave the dead alone, you maniacs. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens, production manager Pavel Vodasky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Koromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2021. John Bickley here, Daily Wire editor in chief. Wake up every morning with our new show, Morning Wire. On today's
2: episode, pressure ramps up on Governor Cuomo to resign, the ACLU is suing the Biden administration, and fake vaccination cards are on the rise. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire.
3: Did you know that mRNA vaccines are approved for use in pigs in the United States? Not to mention 85% of the beef sold in your local grocery store is imported. In fact, over 5 billion pounds of meat was imported just last year. There's so much mystery surrounding our meat, which is why I'm so grateful for my Good Ranchers subscription. I know that I don't have to worry about imported meat or unknown vaccines in the food that I feed my family. Good Ranchers is saying MRNO to MRNA by offering a free 10-pound Easter ham with any subscription. Unlike the pork from the grocery store, Good Ranchers ham is guaranteed 100% free from MRNA vaccines. This is a $119 value, absolutely free, with code DAILYWIRE. Go to GoodRanchers.com and say MRNO to MRNA by subscribing today. You have a right to know exactly what's in your food, and Good Ranchers is dedicated to protecting that right and providing your family with the best meat in America, free from any unknown and potentially harmful additives. Go to GoodRanchers.com and subscribe to any of their boxes and use code DAILYWIRE at checkout. Every subscription will come with a free Heritage Ham, $25 off, and Good Ranchers Lifetime Quality Commitment. That's goodranchers.com, dot code dailywire.